Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. I'm Jack Galactiana. And I'm Josh Story. Jack and Josh are both working in different aspects of ministry here on campus. Jack is interning with us here at Connect. And Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, I'm with an organization called Christian Challenge. That's uh, what we're doing. And you guys work a lot with the athletes on campus and some other different areas? Yes, I'm uh, the chaplain for the football team, assistant coach for the rugby team, and uh, we are uh, very much uh, focused on athletes. Well, it's exciting having both of you guys in the studio today. I'm glad you're here. It's going to be a neat show. We were thinking it would be fun to talk today a little bit about Jesus. I mean, we talk about Jesus all the time, but a lot of times that conversation gets distracted from the person of Christ. And beyond that, what did Jesus say that is relevant to each one of us? A lot of people really like Jesus. We'll get into some statistics from this very year here with this very freshman class at Fort Lewis College. Some surveys that we did showed some unbelievable statistics about what people think about Jesus and how they perceive him. And so we're going to talk about that. But then beyond that, we're also going to talk about what he says to each one of us, word for word, what his message is to each of us today. So it'll be a pretty exciting conversation, I believe. We wanted to start out with some of those statistics. We just did a bunch of surveys trying to get a little bit of a perspective on what people think about Jesus and about spirituality and so forth. And interestingly, people are very spiritual here and I think everywhere. So what do you guys think? What's been your experience? Do people that you talk to seem to be spiritual, quote unquote, in nature? Yeah, yeah, I've had people start conversations uh, with me. That's real encouraging. It just shows that people are hungry and are searching. Uh, it says in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they can't fathom what he's done from beginning to end. You know, everywhere you look, people are aware of uh, a higher being, perhaps God. Yeah, people know. What about you, Josh? Um, I've talked to a lot of people um, just about what they think is God real or not, and uh Probably 9% of the, the handful of people I've talked to have said they believe there's something beyond us. Uh, maybe one or two people out of the handful of people I've talked to literally said God does not exist. And they might call it spirituality, a consciousness. I believe that's a hunger for searching for a creator, and it, it shows. That's absolutely right. What's interesting, too, and just a note for all of our listeners, the second somebody says that they are an atheist or someone that does not believe God exists, they encounter a serious problem because that's actually a logical fallacy to say that there is no God because it's making an absolute negative, which we cannot do. You'd have to know all the knowledge in the entire universe to be able to say there is no God. So it's impossible to say there is no God. It is possible for somebody to say, I do not know, or to be an agnostic. All you have to do to prove that is that you don't know, which doesn't take a whole lot of evidence. So somebody can say, I do not know, or I am an agnostic. I don't know if there is a God or not. But it is logically impossible to affirm that there is no God. You would have to know everything to say that. Most people kind of know that intuitively. Most people know that there is something greater than ourselves. Most people recognize the scientific and logical reality that all this couldn't just pop into existence even though Stephen Hawking and others might use that very phrase, people know intuitively and they know from science that there had to be a cause to everything that we see. And a lot of people think of that cause as something mysterious out there, something greater than ourselves. They might not use the word God or they might, 
but very often they come short of actually defining that as a specific person or saying Jesus is God or something like that. But they'll consider themselves spiritual. So in surveys that we've done, the average spirituality rating is 6.4 out of 10. So on average, people consider themselves very spiritual and consider spirituality as a very positive thing. And a lot of people are pursuing spirituality. What's interesting to me is doing surveys about Jesus's favorability rating, we found that people have a higher favorability of Jesus than of spirituality. Jesus made a promise when he was on this earth. He said that if he was lifted up, that he would draw all men unto himself. And then the very next verse tells us that he was referring to the way that he would die, being lifted up on a cross. That happened. He was lifted up. And so the statement that he made was that he would draw all people to himself. And I firmly believe that every single person, regardless of whether they know it or not, is being drawn to Christ through his goodness to us. Romans 2 says that his goodness and his kindness lead us to repentance or lead us to this desire for him. And so it's not necessarily a surprise to find that his favorability rating is even higher than that of general spirituality. It's kind of to be expected. And you see it when you talk to people. If they're honest, they'll give you something that they believe there's more out there. And I believe it's exactly what you said in the scriptures. Jesus has a higher favorability than Barack Obama. Interestingly, I think last time I checked, Barack's <laughs> favorability rating was around 37%, I believe it was, his job approval rating. So Jesus is actually coming up with a 7.6 or about twice Barack's approval rating. That's just comparing him to somebody else that has an approval rating that's in the news on a frequent basis. But I don't think anybody in society would have a 76 out of 100 or a 7.6 out of 10 favorability rating. I don't think any politician has that kind of favorability rating, so to say. I don't think any band or musician would garner that number of votes. Bottom line is, Jesus has a high favorability rating. He is popular, and people like him. If you talk to general audience today and ask them, what do you think about Jesus, you'll probably get predominantly positive answers. Yeah, I think a lot of times, though, we mix Jesus with religion, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll get the negative when we mention religion. Mm -hmm. But like you said, if we just mention Jesus, you'll get, oh, he's a good moral teacher. Mm -hmm. He's the son of God. He did good things. The minute you mix it with religion, it's, oh, hypocritical, legalism. So, yeah, we need to distinguish the difference between what we're speaking, Jesus, and religion, and separate those two. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we have often, as Christians, done a lot to give Christ a bad impression or a bad image among those that don't know Christ. If anything, we've hurt his favorability more than anyone. And I think that whether we've come across as hateful, whether we've come across as judgmental, whether we've come across as too religious or focused too much on do's and don'ts rather than on relationships and love, in a lot of ways we've hurt who he is and his message to the people that don't yet know him. If you're listening today and you've been hurt by Christians in the past, and I imagine that is a large number of you, I want to personally apologize to you for that. I want to tell you how sorry I am that you've been hurt in the past by Christians, and I don't know what the situation was or how they hurt you, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you, that his hands are open wide to you today, and that he desires a relationship with you. And we as Christians here are sorry for those that have hurt you. For sure. We talk to people on the street who say, uh, like you said, that Jesus was a good moral teacher, 
or and you know he did a lot of good deeds and that's all he was but he never claims to be just a good teacher or a do-gooder he claims to be god he did tell us that he was god we'll kind of get into that in a minute but the reality is is if he stated that and he was wrong and he knew he was wrong then he was a liar right and if he stated that and he was wrong but didn't know he was wrong he was crazy josh if you told me i'm god I'd say, nope, Josh, you're crazy. <laughs> and I would be. And you would be, right? <laughs> yes. You you can't ace a math test, <laughs> much less create the universe out of nothing. Yeah. So anyway. I didn't ace too many math tests anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but the only other option we have is that he was who he said he was, and that was God in human flesh. Absolutely. With a plan for human beings. Mm-hmm. So either he was a liar or he was a lunatic or he was Lord. It's what C.S. Lewis referred to as the trilemma of philosophy. If he really was Lord, like he claims, then that leaves us with two responses. We can either accept his claim as Lord and submit to his Lordship, or we can reject his claim as Lord and say we choose not to follow you. But all of us are left with that choice. We cannot say, oh, he was just a good moral teacher. That's the end of the story. He was a prophet. He was a do-gooder, like Jack said. We have to come to this place of saying, no, he really was who he claimed to be. Now, I can either accept that or I can reject that. And we want to talk about that. There are some skeptics today, like Bart Ehrman. We've talked about Bart Ehrman and analyzed some of his work before on this show. But he'll claim there's a fourth option. He recognizes the logic of the trilemma, and he doesn't try and disagree with that. But he says there's actually a fourth option, and that's that Jesus never said he was God, or he never claimed to be the only way which is not the reality at all. So, you guys, can you think of any place in Scripture where Jesus tells us that he's God? I can think of one offhand, John 8, 58. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away to the temple grounds. When Jesus says, I am, that is a claim to be one with God. In Exodus chapter 3, God refers to himself for the first time in the Bible as I am, and in many other places also. And when Jesus says that I am, he is making himself equal to God. And yeah, they recognized this and tried to stone him on the spot because they knew how radical that claim would be. And then in Matthew, in the latter parts in chapter 26, Caiaphas, the the high priest, when they were having the illegal uh, jury against Jesus, asked him if you are indeed the Son of God. And Jesus replied, yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on to clouds of heaven. And uh, right there, the high priest Caiaphas uh, ripped his robe and said, there is no more need to have anyone else uh, prosecute against you. Um, that was a pretty huge claim. Jesus made many other references to himself and being God or the only way. For example, remember in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He referred to himself as the only way to God. In John 17, he said he was one with God, saying that he was of the same essence with God. And he actually told Thomas right before that, that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. They're one and the same. You cannot tell them apart, but they are together. They are one, and they are the same. Also, his disciples knew this. Bart Ehrman, talking about him again, says that only John ever referred to Christ as God, which is not true at all. In Matthew, in chapter 1, we 
here of Jesus being Emmanuel or God with us, right? So John chapter 1 defines Jesus as God, but also in Matthew, we hear that Jesus is God, and that's just from the Gospels. We hear references to this throughout Scripture. For example, Paul constantly, when he talked about Jesus, used the word Lord, which was the same word that Paul used in the Greek every time he translated Yahweh from the Old Testament. So Jesus referred to himself as God, and the disciples and followers of his in the first century recognized him as God. There was no question about his deity, leaving Ehrman's response that there's this fourth option that he never claimed to be God in the first place as impossible. He really did claim to be God. He really did claim to be the only way. And either he was crazy or he was lying or he really was who he said he was. And if he is God like he claimed to be, if he is the only way like he claims to be, that leaves every one of us with a question. Am I going to follow him or not? If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR, 91.9 FM and 93.9 FM here in Durango. You can also listen online at kdur.org. We are thrilled you're listening. Thanks for tuning in this morning. We are talking about Jesus Christ and his claims. A lot of people have an extremely high favorability rating of Jesus himself. They like Jesus, but they don't like Christianity or religion, etc., And a lot of that, again, we stated before, but I'll state it again, is our fault. We have misrepresented his love and his acceptance to those that we talk to. We've painted him as a religious figure with a lot of do's and don'ts, but not much more. We are so sorry for anybody in the past who, as a Christian or in the name of Christ, has hurt you. Because his desire is to know you personally. And he loves you, scripture tells us, with an everlasting love. We've talked about the trilemma this morning which was C.S. Lewis's logical proof of why we should accept Jesus' claims. Either Jesus was a liar or a lunatic, or he really was Lord. And logically speaking, the third conclusion is the only one that makes any sense. So knowing that and hearing what we've talked about today and recognizing that a lot of people have a high favorability rating of Christ, we wanted to talk about what it is that Jesus really says. A lot of times people tell me, Jesus was a good moral teacher, or he was a prophet. But a lot of those people don't know what Jesus really said. So we thought it'd be good today to talk about what he really said and the words straight from his mouth. So Jack, why don't you share with us a little bit about what Jesus said, his good teachings, so to say. You said it earlier, Nate. Jesus claims to be the only way to God. There are many passages in Scripture that align with this. John 3.16, a rather famous verse, God says... uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Some of Jesus' other quotes in the Bible are, uh, Come to me, all who are weary, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness, because you have the light that leads to life. All who put their trust in me will no longer remain in darkness. And finally, my purpose is to give you life in its fullness. I have called you friends. It's good to mention those statements. He's saying that he loves you personally. He's saying that if you're weary and carry heavy burdens, he can give you rest. Mm -hmm. He's saying that if you're hungry or thirsty, and what he's talking about there is a deep internal hunger and thirst, not just food or water, 
that you need, but the reality is the depth of your being has hungers and thirsts. And he says that only he can satisfy those. He says that each of us is walking around in the darkness without him. Have you guys ever felt that way before? Oh, yeah. Every day in life, right? I don't know what I should do with my life, where I should go, how I should act, how I should treat other people. Jesus says, if you follow me, you will have the light of the world and you will no longer stumble around in the darkness. And then he says that he desires to give you a full, abundant, and meaningful life. And he says he's called you a friend if you put your trust in him. How phenomenal is that that the God of the universe, the same person that claims to be God in human flesh, would also say that he desires to be your friend. It's phenomenal. So that is kind of the emphasis of what Christ taught, and it is the context of everything else he taught, his desire for relationship with you. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, in the first parts he talks about, I'll give you rest, and he, then he talks about being the bread, and then talks about being the light. And it's just interesting how Jesus talks in that kind of way and in those metaphors, and he always talks in stories, and that's the cultural part about it. But he's relating to people, and obviously we can change those around to um, just like he'd be the flashlight and, you know, he'd be the pizza or whatever. But um, it's just amazing how his scriptures relate to a constant need we need to see at nighttime we need to see in dark uh, we need food bread jesus constantly says i'm that bread you need you go back to third world countries you're not guaranteed to eat every day so jesus always said i'm that water you'll never need to drink again to the late at the well i'm the bread of life constantly relating to people in the day's needs of the time and uh it's just amazing how he does that through all the needs of the time and to the people and it's just as important today even though we're in america and we can you know, it'd be almost, you'd have to try to starve to death in this country. I mean, you'd almost have to try not to have light at night or in a dark place because we're so connected and we're, we're kind of an advanced little country. But we can have all the stuff in the world. We can have, feel like we have our worldly possessions, our stuff in order, our 401k, but we can be spiritually totally deprived. We can be spiritually totally in the dark and not even know it till uh, uh, we hit rock bottom. And then when that happens, like Jesus describes here, he gives us purpose to give life in all its fullness. I have called you friends, no matter what we have, how much money, how much stuff, we need Christ. And uh, you see it in athletes who have millions of dollars, but yet they're killing themselves, uh, yet they're still going to drugs. You see it in anyone who has money, everyone we seek that is successful in life. You see there's a void they need to fill. And it goes back to as simple as you just need that spiritual bread um, and you need to walk in that light. Because as much as we think we got together, when we don't have Christ, we are a guy walking in the dark, hitting our toe on the table, and we're starving ourselves. And unfortunately, there's a flip side to getting this relationship with Christ is uh, uh, we block it ourselves. It's self-infliction called sin. And I know a lot of people don't like to hear this word. But uh, there's some scripture that says, anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. Anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. So other scripture says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambitions, shoulder your cross, and follow me. How do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? That's kind of what we just talked about. Other scripture says, sin is unbelief in me, for out of our heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. And then finally, their scripture says, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Now visualize a God of perfectness, holiness, and we sin, 
and uh, God can't be around that. God can't touch that. Mm-hmm. So imagine the Grand Canyon, God on one side, man on the other. And uh, so many people try good deeds. So many people try, I live a good life. I'm a good man. That should be enough for me to get into heaven. There's always that case of he lived such a great life helping people, helping old ladies cross the street, giving to the poor, going to other countries that need help, not swearing, not smoking, not drinking. These are man's attempt to gain God's favor. And basically that's, I believe, where a lot of religion has spawned from. It's man's attempt to get to God. So imagine this Grand Canyon, a man trying to build a bridge of his own deeds. You know, I'm not an architect or anything, but I do believe they build bridges from both sides. And uh, you try to build a bridge from one side, and it's always going to collapse on itself. And uh, that's what you get when you try to do these good deeds. So only through Christ will there be that bridge, and that's what Christ came for. That's right on, Josh. There is hope, and that hope is Jesus. Because God loved us, he sent Jesus down to bridge that gap, coming down from heaven, so that he reaches us instead of, like you said, us effortlessly trying to reach him uselessly trying to reach him which we can't do we can't reach god because of our sin our sin is what is holding us back but the hope that comes through jesus christ is bridging that gap jesus died for our sin it says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life god says the penalty for sin is death rather than us having to die in our sins because god loves us he sent jesus down to die that death for our sins each and every one of us jesus says In the Bible, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. Also, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Also, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus has done this. He died on the cross and died that death that we deserve. The penalty for sin, he paid that, and all we have to do is accept it. Believing that Jesus did this is not enough. You have to make it personal. You have to accept it for yourself. Believe that God died for your own personal sin. Now that Jesus is here and he's that natural bridge, uh, we can start this relationship with God. Um, too many people believe I'm too old, uh, whatnot. Um, you know, I was in seminary and I had a lady who was in her 80s getting her master's, and there's never too late. I'm sure at uh, FLC, man, there is some people who are older still getting their degree. It's never too late. Jesus is not a degree. He is the Lord of all, and he's uh, the way to eternal life. And it starts here with some scripture. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Be sure of this. I am with you always. I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. He also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal as friends. These are what happens. You, you become a new creature, you change, and this new life begins. You now get to cross that bridge. It says in more scripture, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it is by grace alone you have been saved. To faith, and this is not for yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast about. Again, it's nothing we have done. It is strictly a gift. It is a pardon. 
if you will, we'll relate it to a pardon. Uh, it's nothing you did. It's everything Christ did, and it's our faith in Christ that gets us there. Uh, you know, we need to recognize our sin. I know uh, in today's culture, it's not a good thing to say what we're doing is wrong and, and what we're doing is separating us. But uh, you know what? If it offends someone that the sky's blue, does that mean the sky's not blue anymore? I heard a statement yesterday that the truth is true, even if no one believes it. And a lie is a lie, even if everyone believes it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we kind of get, or getting our, our truth mixed up in uh, the postmodern thinking and truth is in the beholder mindset. We need to recognize that we are wrong, that we do mess up, but uh, we also need to know that Christ is here to save us, to give us that pardon. Exactly, and when we accept that, uh, you said it, Josh, our sin is the only thing separating us from God. Um, once we give our lives to Christ and he bridges that gap, we have full unity with the God of the universe. We enter into a fellowship with him, and that's secure. From that point on, we have eternal life, eternal fellowship with the God of the universe. Going back to what we started with today, we talked about how a lot of people have a high favorability of Jesus Christ, and they consider him a good moral teacher and a prophet and so forth. And today we looked at what his good moral teachings really were. And kind of to summarize, Jesus said that he loves you dearly and that no matter what you've done, he loves you in spite of that. He also said that you need him desperately and that only he can satisfy yep. the deepest longings of your heart. He claims that you are sinful and that I am too. I am no better than anyone listening to this show today. Neither is Josh and neither is Jack. And yeah. Each one of us, Jesus said, are sinful and that that sin separates us from God. Sin always separates relationships. If I punched you guys in the nose today, Jack and Josh, tomorrow you probably wouldn't want to hang out. My selfishness separates relationships, and it does that with people, and it does that with God as well. That would be bad news if it ended there. I shared this with somebody last year, and they said, if that's true, why are Christians always so happy? Because that's terrible news. <laughs> and I said, well, <laughs> that's not the end of the news. It gets better. And the better news that Jesus claimed, another one of his good teachings, is that he loves us and provided a way for us to have a relationship with him. Provided a way for us to experience forgiveness for all of our sins. Not by trying harder like religion tells us to do, but rather by accepting his forgiveness like friends do. And that's what he said. He desires to be your friend. And then he kind of put the ball in your court. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear me knocking, I'm going to come in, and we're going to share a meal as friends. We're going to have a personal relationship. And that's my encouragement to you this morning, is if you've never made that relationship a reality with Christ, instead of trying to get cleaned up before you take a shower, we always say that's definitely not the way we do it, right? Instead of trying harder, just come to Jesus as you are today. You don't have to get rid of your junk before you come to him. You simply say, I hear you knocking, and I'm opening the door. Come in. Forgive me. Make me who you want me to be. Be my Savior and Lord. And at that moment, if that's what you sincerely mean, Jesus says he will do it. It's been a great show today, guys. It was fun talking about what Jesus really said. A lot of times people like Jesus and think he's a good teacher, so it was a lot of fun getting into some of what he really taught. I hope it's been fun for you as well. I hope you've learned a lot. But before we go, I wanted to invite you to connect this week. We'll be meeting at 730 in the Student Life Center. It's going to be an awesome time. 
So I hope that you join us, 7.30 in the Student Life Center in Room 119. And Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit where people could find you this week? Uh, well, uh, we're Christian Challenge. We meet the same night, too, but it's at our house. We uh, meet at 7. We meet at the quad uh, where they have rugby practice, and I'll be there in a uh, probably a bright fluorescent orange rugby Cambodia shirt. Can't miss me. I'm big and hairy. We also meet on Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. in the Student Union in Room 103. That is our athletic time. Uh, I know athletes, you guys are busy, and uh, weekends seem to be early free time, so come and join us in uh, 103 at 11 a.m. We'll provide some uh, brunch and some times for encouragement and some accountability. So we'd love to have you as well, and uh, thank you, Nate, for having me. Yeah, definitely. Before we go, we'd also like to invite you to join a community of believers this morning just to check them out. I would encourage you to visit First Baptist. They meet at the corner of 3rd and 11th, and they'll be meeting this morning at 1045. I know you'll have a great time if you visit them. Pastor Jeff and Pastor Gary are two of the most honest, real, authentic, and vulnerable people you'll ever meet. So I know you're not going to get the typical religious perspective there. You're going to get an honest view of life. You're not going to be judged. You're going to be accepted, and you're going to be shown a lot of love, and you're going to be encouraged in your own spiritual journey. So check out First Baptist this morning at 1045 on the corner of 3rd and 11th. Thanks so much for listening today. It's been a great show. We hope you'll tune in next week. You can get all of our shows at eternityimpact.blogspot.com. Again, that's eternityimpact.blogspot.com. Thanks again so much for listening. Have a great Sunday.